Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people in the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the show, Emma Powell. Thanks so much for having me, Victor. I've heard a lot about you over the last couple of years. Well, great to have you here. Now, you're in kind of the same space that we are in multifamily and syndication and development, but you're doing it based out of Salt Lake City. Before we dive into the details, why don't we get a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, so we've been in Salt Lake City since about 2018. Um, My husband in the tech industry and uh, chip chip manufacturing and moving into uh, data science in Austin, just subject to that tech industry volatility, he was laid off a couple of times. And after the last time, we ended up relocating to Salt Lake City. And and I felt just very angry at myself that I hadn't done more to prepare our family for what we knew was coming. It was kind of like in 2008 when everything was going downhill and we knew that a layoff might be coming. He fortunately didn't get laid off during that cycle, but we started putting away a lot of cash and trying to make sure that we weren't upside down on our house and just making plans for if that happened. And then when it didn't, we went and decided to flip a house, uh, which worked out for us. But then when we bought that house and started flipping it, that's when he got laid off in 2011 for the first time. And we just didn't really make any changes at that point. Always just had a big family and living paycheck to paycheck and never really seeming to get ahead, living frugal all the time and wondering where is this debt-free lifestyle? Where is our investment coming from? And he makes a good income. Why can't we get ahead. And so when he got laid off the second time, we just had a small emergency fund and I was running a small uh, real estate and wedding photography business. And when we got up to Utah, I left that business behind and just really upset that I wasn't able to do more to protect the family from that happening and took a good look at myself and my business and, and my abilities and sat back and said, how can I make a good income that can really protect our family from the, the whims of, of this industry? And sat back and I thought, you know, real estate investing and uh, running a business and investing in real estate seemed to be how most people who are wealthy got there. And I can do both of those things. And so that's where the idea came from, really, to start investing in a real estate business. And I really enjoy research projects. So I just jumped down the rabbit hole. And that's how I got started. I love that story. And very similar story to mine. I came from the tech industry as well. Actually had a design center in Austin, Texas, Yeah, uh, responsible for microprocessor development. And yeah, I absolutely understand the cycles in the tech industry, how it's a really long cycle to get products into the marketplace and all of that. So I made a very similar decision, albeit perhaps for different reasons, but came to the same conclusion. So today you've been investing in multifamily apartments and in development. Where are you taking it next? Well, when I first started doing this, like I said, it was just a hedge against um, only having one source of income. But once I got into it, I realized this could really blow the lid off of our ability to earn income. And it's not as time consuming as working a nine to five. This could replace his income. It could retire not only me, but it could retire him as well. And so when we got excited about that, we started going down the road of, of building a syndication business. So he was working, he says he keeps the lights on and, and then I go out and I, I build the business. And then at a certain point, I realized I was building a business so that he could retire and then I would be the one with a job and then he wouldn't have a job. And it was almost like just trading, trading places, trading problems. And so I decided to dial it back because he was right. I was just going to end up running this huge business and then he was going to 
what quit his job and come work in my business. It just didn't really seem uh, like it fit with our long-term goals. Once I realized we could replace our income, we could really change our lifestyle. What do they, what do they say? Like uh, legacy wealth. Um, and that's when we really took a step back and decided we really needed to rethink this. This income really wasn't passive. It really wasn't fitting with our goals. And so I decided to take a step back and figure out how to get more passive cash flow. And then once we were able to settle in that, that base layer of replacing his income with passive cash flow, then we could maybe reevaluate. And so that's our project this year is basically a return on equity project where we're looking at projects that we hold equity in either small rentals or some of our larger commercial projects and just figuring out where is this equity? How can we reposition it? And then where are we going to put it for a better return on equity and better cash flow? Not to take it down to something too elementary, for those who played the game Cash Flow from by Robert Kiyosaki, if you remember, the folks that make it out of the rat race, it often takes one or two good asset sales to essentially eliminate all of the bad debt and really get you to the point where your your passive income exceeds your expenses. And then at that point, you really have the ability to chart your path forward without the pressure of saying, well, I've got to do six projects or I've got to do four projects a year in order just to keep the lights on. And it changes the perspective. Now, as entrepreneurs, there's no one in the back room saying with a whip saying work harder, work harder. It's all self-imposed. So even if you dial it back, you're not going to quit altogether. No, I feel like we're sitting on that equity right now. That's a great example of that cash flow game, because I feel like we are just about at that point where we're ready to escape it. And we have some assets that it's like we're waiting for that market card to be drawn that we can sell it. Because when you know that the goal was to be sitting on a pile of equity of X size, that if we got X return for it, it would throw off. X cash flow, and then we're there, and now you can't eat equity. So that's why we're looking at like we've got to get that sold or refinanced or whatever we're going to do with it across the entire portfolio, just making that decision on a property by property basis. And I feel like we may be going into a recession. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball. And so we're trying to avoid making any rash decisions right now. So I feel like it slowed us down a little bit just, as, just to kind of protect ourselves. But I was watching an interview with Robert Kiyosaki recently, and he said, if you want to win the game of cash flow, be the janitor because your expenses are so low. So um, this last year, we took some pretty drastic steps in our lives to significantly lower our expenses. So we can come at it from both angles. One, just taking a good hard look at our big rocks, you know, our house payment, cars, things like that. And also the return on equity project that we're looking for. You know, How are we going to convert this equity into cash flow? Yeah, one of the traps that, that often our North American culture lures people into is the idea that as your income grows, so too do your expenses. It doesn't matter what income level you choose, just live below your means, that's all. That's really all he's saying is live below your means. And that could be 5,000 a month, it could be half a million a month, it doesn't matter, just live below your means. Exactly. And we chose to look at whose means we're living below. Like if we were going to just survive on the current cash flow that my business is bringing in, what would that lifestyle look like? And so we went and basically bought that lifestyle. And so in the meantime, because he's still working, we're able to take a lot of his cash that is excess now that we're living below. And he's been having some fun investing in some things that he understands better than I do, because he just has a different way of looking at the world and a different background. And so he's been able to invest in some different assets outside of real estate that we wouldn't have been able to do before. 
Fascinating. So I know you're part of an investment club. Tell us a bit about that. Well, that actually rolled out of a of a failure. And so it's a, it's just a great example of how something that doesn't go the way that you planned when you take a step back and, and do an autopsy on what happened, uh, you have some really great insights from that. A lot of long walks and a lot of conversations and just really what went wrong there. Um, there was a property that we tried to buy and we just were really struggling with raising the limited partner capital for it. And we had some hiccups with the lender and we just felt like uh, we may have been able to solve some of the other issues, but at the end of the day, when you have two or three or four problems, they just compound. And so we pulled out of it and lost our due diligence money. We lost a huge chunk of our earnest money. And I took on most of those losses as, as the senior partner. And, and it was just a, it was a really difficult time. And I, that was when I really stepped back and said, what am I doing why am I building this business? I felt very uncomfortable with the deal, not because I felt the deal wasn't good, but I was really nervous and I kept calling it like a ball and chain. I'm going to have to run this thing for the next five to seven years of my life. And when you are using that kind of language, because language is powerful and what we say determines what's going to happen. When you're using that kind of a language, that was really a, a big red flag to me that that maybe I was I was building a business that I didn't really want to be building. And so I realized, why couldn't we get this limited partner capital raised? What was the struggle? I had so many people coming to me saying, hey, I want to do a deal. I have this much money. And when I looked at it all, it was millions of dollars, but I couldn't get at it because the key component that was missing is most of these people who were coming to me were entrepreneurs who wanted to be co-GPs or joint venture partners, and they didn't want to be limited partners. And so when I reached out to them to invest on this deal, they were thinking, great deal. How do I get involved? How do I get involved? I was like, oh, you know, at 50 grand or 150 grand, that's really limited partner territory when you're having a six or $7 million raise. And I couldn't have a hundred joint venture partners. And I was talking about this to a partner of mine who happens to be a securities attorney and how this problem was insurmountable. What would I do? It's illegal to have a hundred joint venture partners. And of course, when you talk to people who are from a different background than you are, they come up with different ideas. And he said, well, that sounds like an investment club. And so he sent me home to research that. And the SEC has pretty clear guidelines about how investment clubs should be run and what rules they should follow. And I looked and looked and looked for somebody else who was running the kind of investment club that I wanted to run. Obviously, I don't want to reinvent the wheel or create more work for myself. I wasn't able to find anything after several months of looking. And so last May, I had a meetup and I just proposed it to everybody. Would we like to shift formats instead of having a speaker every month? Would we like to just start meeting every week and just start crunching deals, pool our money and actually go do a deal together? And everybody there was very excited by it. So let's do it. So we closed our first deal in January and our second one in March. And we're working on two right now. And it's just been a lot of growing pains. We've learned a lot and it's, but overall been a fantastic opportunity. And because we have proof of concept, uh, the club has really become more self-organizing because it's free. Everybody's gotten involved and we've started forming committees and, and really delegating the work around to everybody's areas of expertise. And, and it's really building something that lowers the barrier of entry for people who want to get in, but also for people like me who don't want to be key principals. And so we're all meeting in the middle with the amount of work that we want to put into it. Fascinating. Well, I love your journey. It's not something we've talked about on the show up to now, despite the show running out for several years. So I love the perspective. If folks want to connect, if they want to get in touch, what's the best way? I have a lot of different ways to get in touch with me. So I put them all in one spot on my website. It's a highrise.group. It's www.highrise.group. I have links to all my social media there. If you want to contact me on any of those, we've got a Facebook group, a LinkedIn group. I have a calendar where you can book a 30 minute call. I love having those. Anything that you like to do, 
email, text message, it's all on there. So you choose the way that's most convenient for you and just reach out on that website and we can set something up and go from there. Fabulous. Well, Emma, thank you for the perspective and for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Emma at highrise.group. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.